stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help, and Embiid takes it right to the rack. Embiid, step back, jumper. going on everybody it is monday night november 15th the sixers are on their sixth game west roadie um means we have a lot of old man start times like 10 p.m it's just barbaric to me i can't do it um but this is the life i chose so what we shall we shall survive um i am joined sleep. by uh, sleep is overrated anyway don't worry about it dude sorry, only the sixers and their role players need sleep according to them um, um, I do have a good buddy of mine, Trill Bro Dude. You might know him from Twitter, where his meme game and his general ability to out anybody who has a bad take um, and to troll them is undefeated. That's uh, right. People like him from other fan bases are why I have to be careful with what I say because I know that I will be discovered and ratioed and it will be bad. So that's why I have to keep my guard up at all times. I have a, I have a large bookmark folder of receipts, folks. Right, very scary, especially the Heat fans. I'm sure. Oh, oh, absolutely. It's pretty much all Heat fans at this point. My entire block list is Heat fans too, because ah. they they're not huge fans of me in general. Because I I constantly, <laughs> as they they call me troll bro dude. So, well, I would imagine that you are a big fan of Heat culture and the whole scheme behind that. Yeah, no, I love boomer propaganda. Pull pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, really what heat culture just means is that we're on the beach and we love cocaine and, wow. we, and yeah, and we we are basically we're, we're going to work hard but we're also never going to shut the hell up about working hard. So, you got to respect that that they have somehow assembled the most annoying roster in the history of the NBA. It's it's really impressive. Wow, I, I I love the takery on that one. That's great. Um, we have more than just the heat to talk about today, of course. Um, Danny Green, Andre Drummond, Maxie's Tyrese Maxie, and his growth. You had a take about Tobias Harris that I wanted to dive into. Um, Doc Rivers and his coaching adjustments, and just the team's overall defense. First, Trill, how are you doing today? How, how is life for you? I'm feeling great, dude. I mean, just in general, I've been uh, I'm currently in between jobs, so I've been able to focus a lot on the Sixers. And mm-hmm. even though they're going through their woes a little bit now without Embiid and obviously Ben Simmons and Thibel being out, it, it still there's been so many silver linings this season. And it's just like the first time that I felt really good about the team in quite some time. So I, I'm really enjoying the start to the season and uh, I'm glad, I mean, we'll talk all about Tyrese Maxey, but to me, that's all that I take from the past week of games, even though our record is is not great. Yeah, fair. Um, I'm sorry you have so much time to think about the Sixers, but it's, 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 it's painful from a variety of different angles. Uh, <laughs> and what it means both for your professional life and for your mental uh, your mental health and that you have so much time to think about this basketball. I don't, I don't lose sleep over it anymore. The podcast is kind of like therapy. I get all my right. thoughts out. I can kind of just, you know, air out and, and complain and, and, and go from there. But, but like I said, my, my vibes are, my vibes are really good right now. The Sixers vibes seem to be good, even though they're on a four game losing streak. So I'm not letting anything affect me. 
I think the new pod name should be You Know Therapy or You Need Therapy instead of You Well, know there's therapy. there's another Sixers podcast called Sixers Group Therapy. I oh. actually know know some guys who host it. They're they're good dudes from Twitter. But uh, I thought that was a great name for a podcast. I was very jealous. But You Know Ball is just it fits the brand very. It's well. very much very very much on brand. Um, yes. I can't think about anything that's not You Know Ball esque or like. Every time I see somebody with a good take, I'm like. Damn it, he knows ball. And then I'm like, wait a ball. <laughs> Synonymous with the brand now, too. So, yeah. like, uh, anytime that someone ever says, you know, ball, I get tagged in it now. So right. it's it's good for the engagement, you know, my personal brand. That's right. And I'll have, I'll, I'll, I, have, I have friends on Twitter who I, I don't even know that you know them who will just send me tweets or, like, they'll send me my own tweets and they'll be like, you know, ball. I'm like, Trill's <laughs> brand has expanded and it's uh it's 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 quite it's quite it's, it's blossoming but the anyway <laughs> anyway so i want to start out with danny green here um who people yeah <laughs> well, <laughs> people act like he is dead and it feels like it i don't know that that's the case although his hamstring like the hamstring that is, is bothering him might be dead we can maybe right. bury that one part of the body but Generally, I, 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 I'm very intrigued by why people think he's dead, because I think a lot of the numbers for him are kind of similar to last season in the ways in ways that are really like meaningful to the Sixers. Like, for, in, for instance, he's attempting five threes per game and he's making 42 percent of them. Um, his the three point attempt rate is like astronomical. And it's like exactly what you think it would be is like it's an 88.7, um, which for people who don't no ball <laughs> that that means like eight or almost nine out of every 10 shots he takes are threes um, literally is, all he does is take threes preferably yes. corner threes, sometimes above the above the yes. break pull up threes in transition yes now i and that was that i was down from last year which was 79.4 last year i think part of that's probably having to do with like the covid games where he had to do a little bit of improvised ball handling and it was such a deviation from what he was typically doing that probably messed with that skew that stat a little bit and downwards, but like his usage is actually a little bit lower than last season. And so I feel like, I feel like he's doing less, but people think he's dead <laughs> and like his effective physical percentage. He's he, which basically you, I'm sure, you know, but it, 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 it basically weighs threes more than twos, 63.7 on that with the average of the league is 57 or 51.7. So like besides some stupid fouls on defense, he's, kind of okay and he's been a trip he's gonna be been a good trail side defender so i'm curious as to where the where the funeral happened and what why people think he's dead i think he's been well, the, the thing about danny is that danny affects the ways affects the games in a lot of ways that people might not see easily like he yeah. like we all know he's a great health defender he gets into passing lanes he can cause havoc in that way although i don't think that's quite as good as it, it was at a certain point in his career when he was a truly elite defender, he's still a positive defender overall. What people usually see is Danny getting burnt by smaller guards when he's on the ball. They see Danny shooting the transition pull-ups threes, which, you know, sometimes it can be great and it can help the Sixers take that next step when they're on a run and it can kind of put the other team out of the game. But this season, it feels like he's not hitting any of those threes. And when it does, when Danny has a bad play, it feels like a disaster. Like you said, like, yes, he might th like, okay, he, he handled the ball a little bit more when uh, we were down some ball handlers due to COVID and injuries and stuff. But at the same time, like 
it's ultimately on Doc Rivers to be like, that's not your game. Like, like Doc calling actions for Danny Green and Andre Drummond. He did this with Dwight sometimes last year, too. It's just not part of what makes Danny Green great. And part, what makes Danny Green great is everything you mentioned. The fact that he's an incredibly efficient shooter. He's only going to take smart shots. He's great at relocating off the ball. He's great at doing everything that you need to do. Danny's like, Danny is just like the perfect fifth starter. Like he just greases the wheels and makes everything work. But when he tries to do a lot of stuff that might be a little bit above his head is where the disasters can come in. Like for example, in one of the recent games, he caught a, a, a rebound and got out in transition and pulled up. And then he, I believe he dribbled it off his foot or something. It went out of bounds. Like he tends to have some momentum killing plays. Uh, but overall, Danny's still like, I wouldn't even say Danny's been like a huge positive this year, but I wouldn't say he's been a huge negative. He's just been kind of neutral. And because of that, it's going to feel like he's, like you said, he's dead. He's a low usage player who isn't flashy and, and doesn't do a ton of stuff that is going to like, you know, when Tyrese Maxey's in a game, regardless of whether you like Tobias Harris or not, you know, when he's in the game, because these guys are on the ball and, and it's obvious to see what they're good at, what they're not good at. So I don't know, Danny, Danny's just a really strange player. He's, he's still, still a good role player. I, I do wonder if, if it might be best for the team that if he were to come off the vent bench eventually, but for now, I, I think he's fine as the fifth starter. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think that people, people like, even talking to people in my family, they're like, they're like, he sucks. I'm like, what do you, I'm like, he isn't like, like, there's nothing that's raw. Like he's a high volume, three point shooter who is generally, I would say more consistent of a shooter than your average three and D role player type. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, <laughs> in the media section at, 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 at home games, when you have to wear a mask. And so it's hard for me to like, you can't really catch like someone, some, whether someone's conveying approval of a certain play type other than like, if they laugh at it. And so when Danny pulls up for those threes and transition from like 28 feet out, you can just see me like sit back in my chair and like lift my head and like lift my arms and stretch out a little bit. And then I'm like, okay, back to typing. <laughs> but it's, right. It's I, I mean, the thing with the, the, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's like the three and D thing. Like Danny was like, the peak three and D player, yeah, like perfect. prototype for that kind of role player. Yeah. And I think as, and this is something that I've talked about with my buddy, Hugo Kitano uh, from Warriors Twitter. I've talked about it on my podcast before. He came up with this idea a few years ago, but I'm kind of subscribing to that idea now, which is that in the modern NBA, players like Danny Green, who five, six years ago when he was even better, were incredibly effective role players due to the fact that like, shooting wasn't quite at the level that it's at now. Like pretty much every rotation player, except for a handful of centers and then just outliers can shoot in the NBA nowadays, yeah. which makes the skill of shooting itself, not all that valuable. And the next, the next evolution of the three and D role player are going to be uh, a guy like Michael Bridges that you see in Phoenix, which is like, yes, he is a three and D guy, but he also can attack yeah. closeouts, incredible finisher has a little bit of a mid range game. Like, like that next evolution is like, that's kind of what I saw for Isaiah Joe. Obviously he has not taken that step th this year. He hasn't gotten the opportunity and also in, in the limited opportunities he's got, but I was hoping that he would kind of be, 
the the next version of our, our of our Danny Green, which is essentially like a guy who can do that, but can also run secondary side actions and pick and roll and yeah. and, and do all the things that you want your fist starter to do in the modern NBA. Like the Hawks and the Suns last year really made the template for like what guys need to be able to do as role players. And uh, pretty much everyone on their team could dribble, shoot, and pass, which is incredibly effective in the modern NBA. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I think like the Mikhail Bridges point's a really good one, just because like even beyond that, like Mikhail's gotten better as a cutter too. Like like where like if Devin Booker is tacking an empty side pick and roll, you'll see like you'll see Mc, you'll see him lift a, a big out of the lane, and then Mikhail just kind of flies down the zipper and is like, "I'm right here." Like, yep. get me up. Um, but he also like he'll he'll he's now like getting a little bit better at pulling up right at the elbows and just hitting those mid-range jumpers just to like give like the defense a little bit of extra like caution into what they have to do to defend him. Let me ask you this. Would you rather have Danny or, or Jay Crowder? Cause I'm a big Jay Crowder guy. Uh, I think I'd probably rather have Jay Crowder at this point. Uh, the only, the, the difference between Danny and Jay Crowder to me is that I think that like the Jay Crowder thing's weird because I think like peak Danny Green is not even a competition. Like Danny Green was one of the best role players of all time. There's a real reason why Danny has always been on these championship teams. Yeah. And guys like Crowder, like they've been on incredibly successful teams in the bubble two years ago with the Heat. Like he's been on with some. The, uh, what's that? With 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 the, with the witch team. With the Heat. With the, with, with the culture people? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. And then they left and they couldn't replace the production of, of him until now they have P.J. Tucker, who's a similar kind of player but different in, in some ways. But r- the reason why I think I would prefer Jay Crowder is just because, like, I don't think Jay Crowder is a great defender. I think Danny's probably a more effective defender. But just to have big body wings yeah. – when you're going up against the best teams in the NBA is incredibly useful to have. Like, even if you're just using them for like six fouls, like a guy that you could put on Giannis, a guy you could put on LeBron, a guy you could put on Kawhi, Uh, like the best players in the NBA are going to be able to be guarded by them, even if they're not the best defenders in general. So I think right now I'd take Jay Crowder just because I think he's, he's also a little bit younger. He's a much less consistent shooter, but he's he's become an incredibly willing shooter and that, and that matters if you can hit 35 to 40% of your threes. Jay Crowder, I think falls into that prototype where it's like people automatically name you a three and D guy. If you can't like create your own shot at all, but then it will be a three and D guy. You also have to be able to hit the three like with like a 37% clip and he's not that either. So it's sort of like, well, he's kind of become that a little bit. His shots gotten a little bit more consistent. I think that he shot the last time that he really was not that was with the Grizzlies. Um, I think he shot like 29% with the Grizzlies, but I think with the Suns and the heat, he's getting, he's generating some more open looks just because, like you have the fact that you're playing off of some elite creators, which is really what like Danny Green as the fifth starter next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Fantastic. Danny Green is the fifth starter next to Kawhi Leonard and uh, Kyle Lowry. Fantastic. In Philadelphia, we really only have one elite creator and that's Joel Embiid and, and Danny's been useful in his role, but, but you could also see that there might be some limited, uh, upside to that in the playoffs and i think that it could like i think in the regular season it's going to be fine it's going to be great but i i think in the playoffs we could see the ineffectiveness of guy like danny just because like jay crowder at least can attack closeouts and like do something when he puts the ball on the ground whereas danny is like you're pretty much best of luck yeah i mean i feel like like 
we I feel like people don't really give a lot of I guess attention to the fact that Danny was like missing for the Hawk series. And that isn't to say that he's like a difference maker in that regard. But I mean, that series, I would, by my estimation is probably decided by like what three or four, maybe five different, like five made shots total. Yeah. That's the thing is like the margin for error in that series was incredibly thin. And it's possible that if Danny, the thing is, is that Danny wasn't effective in the first game of that series because doc let him die in the first half against Trey young. (laughs) But once you move Danny off the ball and he can he can guard one of their secondary guys and he can do the things that he's good at off the ball, then great. And then, like, really what you were missing that series was, like, I can think of the matisse Thibault miss three in game seven when they were up four yeah. and they had the opportunity to go up seven with, like, four minutes left. Like, that could have iced the game, really. And obviously the Hawks kept coming back and coming back and coming back. But like if Danny Green's in that situation, he probably hits the shot. So like you're really just looking for a guy who's a willing three-point shooter and just hit a few shots. And that could have swung the series. Well, not even that. Just something I'm thinking like like Kevin Herter, like the like his third quarter against Seth. Like Danny, Danny, Danny is the type of defender that will has like a couple inches more on his arms where he can like he can affect the shot and maybe like in in a vacuum one or two made shots difference isn't going to change that series that dramatically but if he forces him one you know if, he, if he's there to switch on to herder and in, in, in those mismatches in game seven and curry is not on herder you might have a different outcome if if, if, possible. if if he's there in game five you might have a different outcome while they're going on their run same thing in game four so well, the thing about the Hawks series that was so weird to me is that, like I said, like the way that they construct the roster, it's like you can't really hide guys. Yeah. Like if you have four players on the court and Clint Capella that can dribble, shoot, and pass, then best of luck. Like like it, it is harder to hide guys when the other team just has a bunch of dynamic creators, and that's what the Hawks had. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Um, I feel like we've covered Danny Green more than we need to, but um, – <laughs> Andre Drummond is my next target, and I, I, I'm probably a little bit more positive about most of the Sixers than I probably should be as someone who covers the team. Um, but my God, I like I like Andre the person. I think he's a good dude. Um, <laughs> but my my lord, it, it's been it's been a mess um, with him being overexposed as a starting center. Um, the phrase that I like to use for him is that he has um, hand shaped bricks on his arms because the guy just can't catch on the move. Like it's, it's awful. He can't catch on the move. Uh, every time he puts a ball on the floor to dribble, you're it's like, that's a turnover. I, I don't even have to see it. I know it's going to be turned over. Um, he can't finish above the rim when he catches below the rim. So it's like, he is a literally, he's an awful, awful fin- like finisher around the rim. Um, I think the most frustrating thing with him is like, he doesn't just catch the ball high and keep it. When high when he's at the rim, he'll bring it down, and that's when he gets like slapped. That's when he loses it. That's when he it's when he it's when he stumbles upon it and everything and turns the ball over. Um, whenever I see him on the floor, the Cleveland play where he tries to create from the elbow and then just airballs the layup, that play just like it haunts my nightmares, haunts my dreams. Yeah, I mean, I I had someone on my podcast recently who said I just have to commend uh, Andre Drummond for the fact that he's seven foot center and he just never gave up on his dreams of being a shooting guard (laughs) (laughs) it's true though it really it really is true um is it ever like dawn on you how like preposterous it is that he's this bad of a finisher 
Uh, yes and no. I feel like uh, being that tall and large, it is kind of confusing that he can't just make a simple layup that's, you know, two feet above his head. But um, uh, he has horrible touch and, like, he, he doesn't have great feel. And, like, you're saying, as you said, he's overexposed as the starting center of the team. Yeah, you signed Andre Drummond to be the backup, and I yeah. think in backup minutes he's going to be yeah, totally fine. fine. And yeah. I think that he will be essentially an improved version of what we got with Dwight Howard from last year. And it feels like we say this every year: "Oh, he's the best backup of the Joel Embiid era." This is the first time that when both players were playing, it did actually feel like he had a positive effect on the game. He was able to kind of wreck it with those bench units. He was very good going up against second units, but you're starting to see it come apart at the seams a little bit now that he's the starter. I'm not worried about it at all. Um, I just think that, like, I, I would like them to see, like, trying some more small ball stuff while... Joel is out because this is your time to experiment. This is your time to see if Paul Reed can be a center. This is your time to see if you can maybe run Niang or Tobias or one of your power forwards at the five to see if that is something that would be workable for the yeah. playoffs. Because there might just be a series where Andre Drummond is completely unplayable. Like we saw it with Dwight Howard. He was completely unplayable in the Hawks series. And we had no other option because we had never tried it before. And the only time that we had really tried it was in the one game in the Wizard series. Uh, and then we had Mike Scott in the regular season who was completely unplayable in the playoffs as well as the small ball five. So I think that like it would be nice to have some optionality when it came to this. But once Joel's back, I think Drummond's going to be fine for 15 to 20 minutes a game. And, and hopefully uh, we don't have the same problem that we had with Dwight last year. But... Like, it's inevitable that someone with his disaster potential could get played off the court in a series in the playoffs. And uh, I'm just hoping that they're prepared for it. Yeah, I mean, so, like, I, I totally agree with you, number one. Um, and the, I feel like the part of the reason why he is, by default, the best center of the era um, is that, like... With, with like um, Amir Johnson, with oh my god, the Amir Johnson era. Ugh. Um, with, Should have been the Rashawn Holmes era. Ab, I was just thinking that the other night. Like, oh my god, they had the backup center they needed, and they let him, and they traded him for Wilson Chandler, or like yep. fifteen games of Wilson Chandler. <laughs> I don't even think they traded him for Wilson Chandler. I think they just traded him to Phoenix. They That's salary it. dumped him. Is that really what it was? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we got we got Wilson Chandler, but I believe we absorbed him into cap space with gotcha. a second round pick. You might be right because he they okay, cause he wasn't in Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, we got Muscala and Chandler, who we then flipped at the deadline. Gotcha. Okay. So anyway, but yeah, the point stands. You're right. Um, Amir Johnson could not move. Like his knees could not move. His hips could not move. Um, Boban was literally just walking in mud the entire time. Um, Paul Reed is trying to get out of the mud. Boban could not get out of the mud. He was stuck in the mud. Um, Muscala was Muscala, but like, and I thought, I feel like Dwight was a little bit more bouncy as an athlete. So he was like, he looked better than that, than that, than every other center they ever had in that era, but he just wasn't that good. Drummond, like I can, you can kind of see 
Um, he can move a little bit. He's a little bit agile still for at 28, 29. So I think you're right. He'll be regard. He'll be fine in that regard. Just about remaining like engaged on the court on the defensive end and trying to find the seam, as you said, or like the um, the the balance between okay, I'm going to drop to the rim in this coverage. I'm going to play up a little bit to to to, to curtail the ball handler. Um, it's about him just remaining engaged and thinking on a consistent basis, which I feel like he was better earlier in the year when he was in the, in this, in the reserve unit. Now that he's played a lot more minutes recently has been bad. Um, but I, I, th- I think he will generally be fine, but here's a, here's a good number for you on, 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 on Andre Drummond at the rim. He's shooting 52% at the rim. Do you know what that ranks? Percentile? I mean, that's very bad. That's for center. That's horrible. It's the sixth percentile. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not good. I mean, to put it in perspective, I mean, Tyrese Maxey is six foot and he is shooting 72%, I believe, uh, zero to three feet, and he's shooting 64%, one to five feet. Wow. Obviously, he's a very good finisher and has elite touch, but yeah. like, if a six foot guard can do that, Andre Drummond has got to figure out his finishing abilities and, and, yeah, I mean, it, it is that is the most frustrating part of his game is when he tries to just to do too much. He's very much a black hole when he gets rebounds. He's not looking to pass the ball back out, even when he's like triple yeah. teamed. <laughs> but yeah. uh, these are the pitfalls of having a backup center. And like we're seeing why he's not a starting center anymore. But I still think he can be in the right situation, uh, at least in the regular season, could be like a top five backup for us. And uh, even when like the Dwight, like you said, like it might've appeared to be a little bit better and like the Dwight lineups might've been performing well defensively. The Sixers just didn't have the personnel to even make Dwight Howard, like a neutral player on offense. He was a massive negative and all of the advanced and impact stats always hated Dwight Howard, even though the Sixers broadcast would have you believe that he is, you know, the greatest uh, Sixers center uh, other than Joel Embiid since like Dikembe Mutombo. But it seemed to be, uh, uh, this is kind of the situation we're going to be in now. You're going to have flawed backup centers that are on veterans minimums, and we're probably going to try to figure it out every single year to get a new one uh, because they'll probably play well enough or at least decent enough to get a, a contract with another team. And uh, unless we can draft a guy to back up Joel, I don't really see any other options. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like the there's not a ton of center depth in the NBA especially like center depth where they're not just like plumleys where they're just knockout screeners um, or with the guys that can just like move really well, but aren't really skilled in any regard. The, I wrote about this the other night, but like the problem is with a backup center is they have such a short shelf life because as soon as they're like showing any semblance of, I can, I can set a hard screen. I can dive to the rim. I can hit a, hit a shooter out in the corner out of a short roll. I can finish with some sort of like touch, I can play multiple different defensive coverages. I can switch. There's a team out there that's gonna be like, I'll pay you 10 million a year to co- or 15 million a year to come out and play for my team. And then they're like, all right, I'm no longer a backup. So you, you, right. you, you, you saw you, that with like da- Daniel Tice is a good example. Exactly right. I did yeah. my prime, my, my prime thought. So like, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like maybe that, like maybe that's Bassey's job in a couple of years. But then maybe he'll price himself out of the market if he if, if he does like what you need him to do, which I guess is what a good thing you want you want him to price himself out of your market. But it's also hard then to maintain competent backup center play. Um, For sure. Yeah, 
Now, you you mentioned you, another fun fact about about uh, Drummond I wanted to share. He he he. There was a game earlier in his career where he took uh, thirty six free throws. Do you know how many he made? Fifteen. He made thirteen of thirty six. He said he set he set a record for missed free throws in a game twenty three. Nice. Wow. I'm surprised Ben Simmons doesn't have that record. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, now moving on to Maxi, like you compared him to, it was a good segue for me. Um, I think I think the 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 glow up, if you will, is real. I, I think yeah. it's real. Um, twenty six points per game over his last four. 55.5% on twos is effective field goal is 57.4. I kind of like vary and vacillate between like whether I'm going to use true shooting or effective because it kind of depends on the player. Some guys get to the line a ton. Other guys don't. So it just kind of depends on like the kind of player archetype that is. For Maxi, I, I, I use the 57.4 and and effective field goal because he doesn't get to the line a ton, but he shoots more threes now. Um both in the 90th percentile in both those categories, which is insane for a second-year guy. 69% at the rim, 88th percentile. He is shooting 18% better than the backup center is at the rim. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely wild. He's yeah. a truly elite finisher. It's yeah. it's crazy. And I, I think part of why his glow-up is real is because even if the jump shot fades from time to time and it isn't there, that touch around the rim is going to be there as long as he has his speed. And yeah. so I, th- I, th- I think that I think that's real. Um, assist turnover ratio. I think this will probably normalize as he as he as he gets more minutes. But five point six seven to one for a guard, you want like two and a half to one. So he's blowing that out of the water. Um, immense, immensely strong playmaking right now. Usage between fifteen point seven and twenty seven point three over the last four games. So he's he's really involved in the offense now. Um, He's been flat out making plays, he's making shots. I would like to see that uh, that playmaking improve a little bit because I think he's not a great playmaker. I think guys like Danny Green, Tobias Harris would 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 benefit from him as shooters if he was a little bit more of a of of a playmaker. But I also think that it's hard. To, we'll get into this more later, but it's hard to be a playmaker when Doc is letting Seth Curry operate as the primary creator when he shouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, ultimately. Uh you know, Maxi is a bucket getter. Like that is his role within the offense. And, you know, when you're driving before last game, I haven't seen the stats that have been updated since, but he was driving 9.6 times per game. So almost 10 times per game. And he was averaging 9.2 points per game on those drives. So essentially any time that Maxi drives, you're going to get at least one point uh, on the averages. So it, it is an incredible, like to put it in perspective, the only other player that's driven to the rim that many times it's at least five times per game and has gotten over 90% of points uh, percentage was Norman Powell. No one else in the NBA had that effective uh, as a driver, as a scorer. So, I mean, I don't know what else to say about the kid. He's to me, he's clearly a future all-star. Like I'm, I think that I was a little bit, like hesitant to say that at the beginning of the season, I still saw the flaws in his game and I still do see some flaws in his game. I don't think he's a perfect player, but being a six foot something scoring guard, uh, it's an uphill battle to become an all-star in, in the NBA, but he has the goods, man. Like I, all everything that we've wanted to see him improve on, he has improved on. He's gotten to the line more. He is absolutely deadly in that floater runner game he his uh his catch and shoots have gone up his pull up yeah. uh three 
Three-point yep. shooting has gone up. Uh, everything that you've wanted to see from year two Tyrese Maxey, his defense it, it still leaves a little bit to be desired in certain games, but he has had flashes in games where you see the defensive potential with him. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, I'm just like, if he continues on this track, there's no doubt in my mind that he has all-star upside, if not multiple-time all-star upside. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like even defensively, he's starting to get like, okay, this guy has the ball. I'm going to help off my man right now at the end of the shot clock. So that way, even if he makes the pass, it's still a rush shot. But if he doesn't and he, and he goes for it, he has, he has two guys in his face. Like those are, that happened. I don't know if you noticed, but in the Raptors game, he did that to OG Ananobi when he was posting up, which I understand the thought process there, but like, I'll live with a, the the results of an OG Ananobi post up instead of leaving Fred Van Fleet wide open for three because he did yeah. he hit a three as the shot clock expired and and those are things that he'll figure out as time goes on. Yeah, and I feel like guys like Van Vliet, like I wrote this in my game story for that that game like he's still learning how to how to play guys out of the ball screen when they're very like herky jerky changing pace types like a guy like yeah. Van Fleet. He clears the screen, and then he's trying to get you on his hip. He wants to feel that backside pressure so he can figure out, do I go to the rim? Do I pull up here? Do I get a foul? What? So Tyrese is, like, full speed ahead, and he's just plowing into the guy. Um, and, you, you know, you have to figure out how to, like, how to pace yourself against that kind of offensive player instead of going 100% on all, all given times. Um, but I'm curious, like, what do you think the holes are in his game? I think the passing has to get better. I think his just his his – Ability to get to the free throw line has gotten better of late, but still could get better. I think a guy like him could average like six, seven free throws a game. Um, and if he's if he can shoot like thirty seven percent from three, that's a all I would like to see out of him. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I I think that the role for Maxi in the Sixers offense is being a play finisher, a guy who can, uh, you know, catch and shoot, a guy who can ca- uh, catch the ball, get downhill probably more so as a secondary guy working off of a star like Embiid. Um, The holes in his game, honestly, the two major holes in his game are just like, there are things that just come with time. And it's like, like the thing I just mentioned, like knowing when to help on defense and when not to, and like basically, uh, you know, learning different coverages, figuring that stuff out. Like he got burnt a ton at the end of that Pacers game uh, against TJ McConnell, they were running drag screens and he just absolutely could, could not keep up. And you know, he's a young player. His size is always going to hurt him a little bit, but, but these are things that he will figure out over time. Uh, The major thing I would want to see from him, not even necessarily this year, just moving forward, maybe a little bit after this year is when he is doing the passing, like, being more aware as a passer, like yeah. his scoring gravity and his shooting gravity is going to open up passing lanes a lot. Teams are going to figure out they're going to have it in their game plan going into the game to basically make Maxi pass the ball. And he needs to recognize when that is happening and when he can hit the roll man, when he can kick it out to shooters, get a little skip pass to a guy in the corner, like all the things that you're just expecting. And like, I had my buddy uh, Ben Pfeiffer from Twitter on who was like the original maxi guy. And we basically agreed that like all the things that you need to work on in his game are just things that come with reps and time. There isn't like major flaws in his game now to the point where it's just like, 
oh, this will never happen. It's all yeah. just things that he has to figure out with time, just like any other young player in the NBA. And I, I know this might sound insane, but like if there was a redraft today, I would take him third overall behind Anthony Edwards yeah, and, and LaMelo Ball. I'd go LaMelo Ball one, Anthony Edwards two. I would have him in the same tier as Cole Anthony, but those two are the guys so far from that draft that have shown me that they have star upside, whereas the other guys like Vassell, Halliburton, Okoro, uh, Patrick Williams, like all the guys that went a few picks after them and have sh- have flashed, I think that they all could be good NBA players. I just don't see the star upside like I do with Maxi and, and Cole. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I totally agree with that. I think, and you nailed it on the head with like the the passing. Like there, there's passing where it's like I'm finding the open guy that's immediately available to me, and I'm not missing that. But that's also like a, like what a guy like Alec Burks of all people can't do. Like you, you have tunnel vision if you can't make that pass. Um, he actually, I heard a podcast that comped him pre-draft to Alec Burks because of that. And now I think he's, he's kind of figuring out yeah. a little bit, but he will over time. Yeah. And what he needs to do to really become, to take that next step as a playmaker, um, obviously keep the turnovers down. That's massive. But you need to leverage, and you said it perfectly, you need to leverage your shot making gravity to then create open looks. It isn't just about getting downhill and then making a helper slide over to, to block you off and then kicking to a shooter in the corner. It's how can I use my gravity in the middle of the lane to then hit my big for a dump off? That's that's the next progression as a passer for him, I think. And I think he'll learn that with time, with watching film, with understanding his skills. Um, but I, I definitely agree. I think there's some. All, I think there's all star upside there. Um, and I will say it's like a treat to watch the guy watch the kid play. And it's also yeah, a absolutely treat, it's a treat to talk to him as well because he's like at this point in his career he hasn't been corrupted yet. So like. He's like very much like a, a like a jovial, happy to be there type. He'll just like talk and talk and talk. Of He's course, great, there's gonna, there can be a day when some national guy like pulls a quote out of context, and that ruins his relationship with the media because he won't trust anybody anymore. But we'll get to there when we get to there. Um, well, look, I call him Live Laugh Love Jimmy Butler. So you know, I, I think that he. <laughs> He's in the gym. He's working hard, but he's not bragging about it. He's a motivational guy. He's a teammate. Seem to like him a lot. Like I just think the sky's the limit for him. I I I, I hate to like. I feel like the the more that I watch basketball, the more that I get into the podcast, the more I'm just like becoming less of like an X's and O's guys and more of just like a vibes guy. And he has fantastic positive vibes and like. That really matters in the modern NBA. And, like, there are plenty of talented players. We know them. They've been on the Sixers that have have been uh, wildly successful and had great careers and stuff. And there are players around the league right now who have that. But, like, if if you're an asshole and no one wants to be around you, you're not going to last on a team very long. And you're probably not going to have a ton of success, uh, you know, in terms of winning championships and being part of championship teams. Well, I I think also, like, like I think you're 100% correct. I think just beyond that, like, if you're an asshole and no one wants to be around, you're going to end up being the guy that like people don't want to fight with as teammates. And then as a result, your chemistry is all mucked up. Like, yep. like, 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 like I, I'm not going to pretend like I know Jimmy Butler, but I mean the, the whole like big face coffee is some cute little like rallying call that he can like call a business or whatever. Um, and you know, it's what, it's whatever. Like people have their side ventures, but I'm curious as someone who is not a hipster like me, how do you sniff Wait, out? Wait, you think I'm not a hipster and you are a hipster? I don't know. I, I think I'm not a hipster. 
I, I, I think okay. I'm, I'm like, I've been I'm, called I've been called a hipster. I might not look like a hipster, but I have very like hipster tastes and shit. But like when it comes to basketball, I'm pretty like normie brained. My friend, I am like 80. I'm 80 going on 26. But <laughs> so really you're an old soul. There we go. Exactly right. So how does someone sniff out from a guy that says all the right things? How do you sniff out that like, okay, this is a bad guy. This is a bad vibes guy. And he actually like it's a facade, the whole like good guy thing that he's putting on. His vibes are bad. Well, I I personally don't have like like I have a pretty good bullshit meter. I feel like I can read people really well, but like the majority of guys I'm talking about, I and like look, Jimmy Butler might be a good example of that just because he's bounced from team to team. He's kind of an egotistical guy. He he has been the center of a lot of issues, but like from a a a vibes perspective of like maxi genuinely has little kid energy like he has the energy of like just like a happy to be here like you said happy go lucky guy and my whole thing is like being around someone like like i don't even mean to shit on ben simmons i know this is obvious like i talk about ben simmons on the podcast all the time but like from the jump, Ben Simmons is not, like, the friendliest teammate, obviously. He yeah. doesn't have a ton of friends around the NBA. Like, I think there are some warning signs when, like, a guy has a bad game and people around the league are making fun of him on Twitter or, like, like – a year ago, Jalen Brown had a comment uh, during, it was 2019. It was uh, during Grant Williams' rookie season. And he basically said, Grant Williams can't hit a three. We call him Ben Simmons in practice. And then he's like, oh, and he hit one too, by the way. Shout out to him. But like, it's obvious when you're like a social guy. Like people seem to genuinely like Joel Embiid around the league. People seem to genuinely like Tobias Harris around the league. Yeah. Like you can just tell like beyond just like the personality aspect is like, they're, people want to be around them like they they like they're charismatic and like they like they they kind of uh people gravitate towards them and uh you know i just like personally like i and i'm a big fan of like carl anthony towns fantastic player love his game but like i would have i would have a hard time if he was on my team like seeing the shit that he does and like I understand, Minnesota is a really frustrating circumstance for him, and it's been really shitty. And also, he's just gone through a ton of shit in his life in general. Yeah. But like in general, like I want all my guys to want to be there and like lift up the guys around them. And I feel like last time we talked, you kind of mentioned this, and I was like, "Yeah, whatever." Like if you have talent, you have talent. But I'm like, no, vibes are real and they're important. Like there's a reason why the Bucks won the title last year because yeah. everyone was all fucking in. And they were all like, Giannis is our guy. We're winning a title for Giannis. And then Giannis took it to the next level. And that's just, a, they've been through their fucking battles, man. They've been through playoff wars and 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 they finally persevered. So like, I do think that there's more to just like, more to basketball than just X's and O's. But sometimes guys are just so talented that they can overcome that even if they like all fucking hate each other. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you bring up Cat because like, I remember there was a Reddit thread a couple of years ago where like, it was like a f guy who claimed to be a former ball boy who was like for, for the Timberwolves? Who was like Cat was the worst person ever. Which yeah, I mean, who knows if that's credible or not? Whatever. But um, it's just funny. It's just funny that you that, that you bring that up. Um, but yeah, you make a good point. Like like, are they well liked around the league? Like, are, do people rally around them or whatnot? That, that's a good point. I think you've 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 inculcated me a little bit on 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 the bullshit meter and how to how to sniff out 
the the bad vibes from a good vibe. Look, there's a little bit of boomerism to it, but like ultimately, if every single player says it's like real Hooper stuff, like if every single player says Demar Derozan is really good, Demar Derozan's really good. I don't care what any analytic says. So like that's kind of how I feel when it comes to like if every single player says chemistry and locker room stuff is important, then it's right. It's true. Like we're we're just fans. We're only seeing it from the outside. There is that element to it as well. Right. I agree. Take a quick break from the pod to talk about our sponsors at the King Cobra. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, you can check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. Um, and Cobra is spelled with a K for a 10% discount. On all, on all products, enter the code, trust the Cobra 10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. Let's go over to your take about Tobias Harris the other day. And I, maybe I'm missing something here, not just from you, but from the entire fan base yeah. in general, people who don't like Tobias. I'm it's, not anti-Tobias Harris. No, I know, I know, I know. Um, but I'm going to read the take. Trading Tobias would probably be best for the team's title hopes, but I can't imagine a scenario where they trade Tobias and actually get better. So right. I could see how he's the type of guy where you can't trade him and get better because he just doesn't have that kind of pull as a as like an upside trade candidate. Um, Mostly because I, of his contract. Yeah, and I get the contract is is the contract. However, why would so is would trading trading him be better for the title ups because of alleviating the salary cap burden, or would it be that there's something in the eye test or in the numbers that I'm not seeing there? I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. So I think the first part, uh, just to talk about like the on-court stuff, like I actually think Tobias has been fine this year. I think that um, last time we talked, uh, one of the things we talked about on your podcast was the playmaking and passing. And I think that he has taken a step in that, in that direction positively. But um, one of the things you saw when Tobias Harris was out, and this is, something that happens a lot of the times when guys who tend to be more ISO pick and roll heavy scorer types are out of the lineup is that the ball movement was really fantastic. And uh, I don't think that ball movement is the end all be all in the playoffs. It has its, its pitfalls for sure. 100%. But uh, ultimately Tobias Harris is somewhat of a ball stopper yeah and when he catches the ball his objective is to get downhill and score or get to his spots in the mid-range and score which is fine and it's good to have at the end of shot clocks and like doc has said he he's our run stopper and stuff like that but ultimately when it comes down to within the concept of the team like i don't think they're going to shoot as well as they did the first few weeks of the season but when Tobias was out, you noticed that some of their better shooters were getting good looks because the ball movement was crisp and you were able to to, to hit guys wide open in their spots. Whereas Tobias playing within the team concept to me, he's kind of a bail you out bucket guy, which is important to have. But you want that guy to be able to be either a closer or you want them to be able to be a guy that is an elite scorer. Like Joel Embiid's a ball stopper. But you can run an offense yeah. through Joel Embiid. You can't run an, a, a high-level offense through Tobias Harris. And if he's one of your secondary guys, you would hope that he shoots off the catch a little bit more. You would hope that he can do some of the more complementary things that uh, you would hope from your second scoring option. And uh, ultimately, my thing with Tobias is like, 
if we got Damian Lillard and he was our second best player, great. Tobias Harris is fine on this team. I'm not worried about it at all. When it comes to the playoffs, Tobias is not the kind of guy that's going to be closing games and like getting his, getting his shots off. Like you, you saw the struggles of that in the Pacers game. Like he's just too slow and mechanical to really be that guy in a high leverage playoff situation beyond just like the first quarter getting buckets, the kind of things he does. So like if we had a closer and if we had someone who was like a truly high level creator, look, I love Maxi, but he's a secondary guy. And unless Maxi can grow into that, I do just struggle to see a little bit how Tobias can fit as the third best player on a championship team. And he's definitely not good enough to be the second best player on a championship team. Although I still do think he's a valuable player and he's been very helpful, especially when Joel Embiid is out. I guess I don't look at it in that light. I probably look at it from the sense of like, your number one guy can go get you is a walking 35 points and your second best guy is a walking 20 plus points. And then as long as you have the pieces filling in around that supporting cast, you're probably fine. But I feel like within the context you're talking about where like the three like, where like the catch and shoot numbers aren't quite where they should be. He went, he likes to take the rhythm, the, the rhythm shots. Um, and I feel like he's forcing threes a lot right now, but like, I think his efficiency makes him a perfectly, vi- like a perfectly fine player. Like he, it, he has the, the, the 20, uh, 19, 20 Tobias was awful. Like aw- yeah, absolutely yeah, terrible. It was not good. Um, and this version, 56.6% on twos, 55.2 effective. So, and like 64% at the rim, that's fine. It's not maxi good, but it's fine for a guy that is not vertically athletic at all. Um, 51% on mid on mid range jumpers is massive. He's at 83rd percentile. So he's he shot 48% last year on high yeah. volume too. Yeah. yeah. Like, like he's, he's the type of guy that breaks the, the analytics theory that says like, if you're not going to make like a certain percentage of your, of your mid range jumpers, you should limit them from your game. He breaks that. He kind of breaks that rule a little bit where he can like, he's fine taking those shots because he's so effective at them. And I think you're right. Like the, like the assist percentage is, is up this year, 21.8%. That's a career of high. So like right now, I feel like he's taking some steps in some quiet areas. For sure. Um, is he the prototypical guy you like as your number two? Would most teams want him as their number two? No, I don't think so. But well, also with Joel Embiid is your number one. Yeah. Because the, the thing is, around Joel Embiid, I think the most important thing you can have is shooting and passing. Yeah. Because I think that if you – and it doesn't even have to be like a high leverage passer. It doesn't have to be a Luka Doncic or, yeah. or you know, someone who is like breaking your mind with their passes or, you know, Jokic or whoever. But, but you would like to have – connective passers and I hope that Tobias can continue to take steps in that direction but like in my mind having either a high volume three-point shooter in his position or having a guy maybe like a Joe Engels type even though Tobias is a better player than than Joe Engels it might be a little bit more effective around Joel Embiid if you are able to put the right like you're building a team around Joel Embiid Tobias Harris would definitely not be your second guy that you would choose and like I said, like I think if you can slot him down to that third spot, and instead of having your second best player is Ben Simmons, you have a high leverage creator that is g- generating their own offense, is able to actually do that at the end of games. Tobias can kind of be your innings eater. Tobias can kind of be your first and second quarter guy. 
and it would be totally fine. I just think that like he's way over uh, or underqualified for the role that he needs to be for the Sixers. And if he is that guy, then this team is not going anywhere in the playoffs. And and I think we all know that, but that's why Daryl Morey is holding out to try to get someone truly valuable for that Ben Simmons position, because I think he knows that Tobias can't be the second guy, but he could easily be the third guy. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I just said there's like this over tendency to like put every failure in the fourth quarter on Tobias. You know, I'm like, well, there's four other it's guys. Conf- but- it's all confirmation bias. It's yeah. literally that's all. And I went in, and I have a Discord for my podcast, and there are a lot of people in there who are anti Tobias Harris. And that of uh, the other night, they're all screaming and blah, blah, blah. And people in there were like, dude, he just scored 32 points, got to the line seven times, hit four threes. Like he did everything you want him to do because he isn't a closer. That's that's Doc Rivers fault. That's not yeah. Tobias Harris's fault that he's calling posts up for for Andre Drummond and for Tobias Harris in the fourth quarter. Like that, that's my whole thing is like, the, the, it's, it's confirmation bias and it's, and it's all like, this guy is the reason that we're not winning instead of like, oh, we're missing our two max players Yeah, and, and he can't drag us over the finish line. Oh, and, oh yeah. There will, there were a few games where he was out and we looked good, but we must, we lost all those games except for the Portland game when we shot like fucking crazy from three and that's not sustainable so that's that's my big thing is like everyone points to when ben and tobias are out and the team shoots really well and we win and i'm like yeah but that is not a sustainable strategy especially in the playoffs when ball movement isn't nearly as crisp as it is in the regular season yeah no i agree um you 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 made another great segue for me with with the doc thing so doc is also somebody who gets fired every day it feels like um (laughs) by the fans um and i i do get there are some coaching shortcomings there and I, like i've even like written a few down here i mentioned this one earlier like playing seth too much on ball and tyrese not enough on not enough on the ball i feel like it's important for tyrese to learn how to play off the ball for the purposes of joel but also he has to learn how to navigate pick and roll offense with joel and that's also like part of joel needs to be a better screener doc can't make joel a better screener joel has to be committed as a better screener and diver for sure um but he, you're not going to get Tyrese Maxey comfortable in pick and roll with that if you're playing Seth Curry off uh, on the ball more when Seth just is, is he's adopted the duty in, in in with this team but he's not a point guard he's not um, another thing is like giving Paul Reed a leash a little bit more of a leash I feel like Paul they don't trust Paul Reed on offense and I can see why because you'll do things where he'll be like oh I got to put on my superhero cape and create offense like don't do that please stop just like. Yeah. Like stay in your box and, and don't yeah, move he's, he's G League Giannis. Exactly. Wow, I like it. I like it. Um, but giving him a little bit more leash. Like, why is Charles Bassey in there the other night when 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 you have Paul Reed there, who has proven to be more of a rotation player at this point than absolutely? Um, fourth quarter offense, it was terrible the other night, and part of it was like instead of running ha- Tobias post ups, I get it. Like it's a it's like a you have to give the ball to your best player. Tyrese, you could argue, is their second best player. Uh, you know, like in general. Um, I feel like, and I'd probably say he's like, our probably like our fourth best player right now. Like if you were to like really think about it, like outside of this crazy streak recently, uh, I'd probably put, I'd still put Seth and Tobias as the second and third guys. Okay. That's fair enough. But like, even in that fourth quarter against, against the Pacers, like all post-ups, 
in isolation. There was not one like, hey, let's run a horn set and then enter it into Andre and then set a down screen for Tobias to come up and get the ball in rhythm in the mid-range. And like at least run a set to get the guy a little bit open instead of just having him pound away energy in, in the paint and, and miss shots around the rim. Um, but even as much as slander as Doc's offense gets in the fourth quarter, Sixers are eighth best in the league in their fourth quarter offense. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not really worried about the offense. Why are we – like, I tweeted this the other night. Like, we have the number one offense in the NBA. Our half-court offense is the best that it's ever been in the Joel Embiid era. It's also number one. We have a top transition defense, although we should get out into transition more often. But that is part of the fact is they're not causing as many turnovers and the defense isn't quite as good. So you're not going to have as many opportunities. But I'm not really worried about the offense. It's the defense that's driving me crazy right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and, I, and we'll get to that as well. Um, but they're averaging 111.5 points per 100 on the fourth quarter, which is really good. Who would you guess has the best fourth quarter offense? This is a great one. Which In the entire NBA? Yeah. The Warriors? The Magic. Your La- <laughs> Cole Anthony, baby. I'm telling you, he's a bucket and a problem. 116.9 per 100 possessions. That's pretty good. There's a lot of there's a lot of randomness yeah. and shooting oh, yeah. variance this this early oh, yeah. in the season. But they're but yeah. getting blown out, and that no like the defense is yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like oh, I saw someone criticize Tobias for having like five more points or six more points than Maxi on like five more shots or whatever, and I'm like, dude, Maxi like he's been great recently. He scored seven points in that Pacers game when the game was over. Like, like you filter out garbage time like that. that, Those things don't matter quite as much. Other thing that you, I think is great. Who would you think has the worst fourth quarter net rating? Uh, The Boston Celtics. Nope. Timberwolves. They are. Oh, well, yeah, that's. They are minus 23 and a half per hundred in the fourth quarter. (laughs) I, I, I said before the season, like, I, I everyone was like, oh, I think they might be a play. And I was like, the Timberwolves are going to suck, dude. D'Angelo Russell's a fraud. Uh, Anthony Edwards, I love Anthony Edwards, but he's still a second-year player. Yeah. Cat's going to give up the second the season starts to go under. And, like, they could still have a chance at maybe doing that. But, like, I don't, the vi- we want to talk about bad vibes. That is a bad vibes yeah, yeah. franchise. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, like, the other thing that I would kind of, like, I think he gives Drummond too long of a lease. There's no reason that they should be feeding the ball on Andre Drummond in the post. There's yeah, no absolutely. reason they should be initiating anything from the free throw line other than a DHO. Uh, I feel like they, they, Doc does that a little too much. And I feel like the other thing that Doc does is, like, he doesn't run high enough pick and rolls. Like, with a guy like Seth Curry that has such great shooting gravity, they should be setting screens, like, Right at the right at like the head of the logo and letting him just like operate in high ball screens. Like he's not gonna blow any by a big if if a big is like playing up a little bit, but just having that extra gravity as a shooter and maybe opening up a little bit of pocket of space for somebody to cut in the middle of the floor, it would would help their offense. I feel like their 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 positioning is sometimes not great. Yes. Yeah. And Seth Seth has good feel for that stuff too. Like yeah. in the Raptors game, their their length was driving him crazy, and he knew that he had to take that extra step back towards half court and launches threes from there because otherwise a guy would close out and and get blocked. So I'm not yeah. opposed to that idea. Once again, I don't think the offense is the problem, but I do think that I would like to see some better process things from the offense. I think yeah. the results have been good, but there definitely are some process things that need to you know that leave a little bit to be desired. Yeah, and I I feel like with coaching it's generally hard for me to assess because we don't know how much of the on-court product is his own directive and instruction versus like him saying one thing and his players 
in the in the in the you know live time and in, in real time making the wrong decisions or, or playing poorly right. in the moment. like he can't there's only so much he can control in terms of on the court product that's just me what where do you fall on the whole doc thing well here's the thing doc's a good regular season coach like i don't think the doc is because to me the regular season is a lot less about game planning it's a lot more about just the things that you're talking about right now making sure that the the right guys are in the right position and and they stay motivated it's it, it's just generally like you leave it up to your players a little bit more in the regular season, whereas in the in the playoffs, you you see a little bit more of Doc's shortcomings because he's not a great game planner, not great at in-game management, not great at X's and O's. And I said a few weeks ago, like, what does this guy do? Like, I, I really have a hard time figuring out what he does. But the, the one thing that I've talked to some Celtics fans and some Clippers fans is that when the team is shorthanded, he tends to, like – kind of be that vibes curator he's like the the vibes doctor for the team that's why he's called doc rivers and he essentially can make it so that the younger guys on the team are uh staying like i mean he's playing maxi playoff minutes right now which obviously you would prefer not to have to do but he's yeah. finally showing some trust in a young player which is a a a a, a a sign of progress at least you would hope that as you said the paul reed thing like Paul Reed has a lot of flaws to his games. He can be a damaging player in certain ways, but he's clearly an NBA rotation guy. And I think that he could have the, a positive effect just because of his defense and the tip backs and the offensive rebounding, which we've really struggled with so far this season yeah. and, and creating second chance opportunities. But the, the thing about Doc is like, I think the biggest thing for, for Doc, that Doc has done well this year is just keep the team motivated and like, basically they always have their foot on the gas against these good teams. Like there's really no like thing that I could point to like, Oh, they ran a pick and roll here. Like they, they ran some, uh, you know, cause like doc is not an X's and O's guys. He has kind of basic, uh, basic plays that he calls and, and he kind of lets the players figure it out. And Joel Embiid becoming an MVP candidate last year made him look like a genius, yeah. but and Daryl Morey doing a good job of putting the the right players around him. But I do think that Doc has pretty good feel for, like, who he should play when. But he tends to, to favor the veterans so much that it's like, can we just see what Isaiah Joe is, like, during this time? Can we just see what Paul Reed is during this yeah. time so that we can get a better feel? Because, like, I think that that could take the Sixers, like, rotation – but just having diversity within your rotation is incredibly important yeah. because when you get to the playoffs, there are guys that aren't going to be playable. Like I think that George Niang could be unplayable in certain series because of his defense. Yeah. And I think, Oh, that's a big problem for me. Right. And it's like, and I think George Niang has been fantastic so yeah. far and, and obviously an upgrade over Mike Scott, but like there's a reason he's an eighth man in the NBA yeah. as opposed to like, a, like, and even for Con Korkmaz, who's had a great start to the season and like, Shake Milton's been better in certain departments, but he still leaves a lot to be desired as a player. Those guys like just might not be playable in certain playoff matchups and like, okay, then we can go to Isaiah Joe and he can come off the bench and shoot eight threes a game. So like the one thing I want to see from doc is just like, just give me something else, dude. Like just switch it up every once in a while. He's done a good job of keeping the guys motivated. He's done a good job of feeling out who to play when, but ultimately what it comes down to is like, I think that this is once again, going to limit the team's flexibility in the playoffs and the playoffs are all about flexibility. The best coaches, 
the Ty Lues, the Eric Spolstras, the guys that yeah. in the playoffs, they make adjustments on the fly and they know when to play guys when, and they also know when to go to those smaller lineups versus those bigger lineups and who can play and who can't play. And I just think that like, I, I, I don't want to see Doc be so stubborn and stuck in his ways. Yeah. I mean, I feel it. I, I agree. I agree with you. I, t- I totally agree with you. I feel like part of the thing that Doc gets blamed for is like, well, how doesn't he have more championships? Like why aren't hit like, like he like, look at his playoffs and his failures there. He finally gets talent in Boston and they win the title. And then the next year KG goes out. They don't have KG. Then next year they're healthy. They get back to the finals and lose in seven to the Lakers. Then the heat come into play and the Celtics are just simply too old. Um, and you know that they, they don't have the firepower that the Heat have at that point. Goes to LA, and there, like there, there were no doubt series that he should have won in LA that he didn't win. It, but there were also times when you could see that the chemistry wasn't right, and they've even talked about the players like, "Hey, we was, we weren't together all the time," and that's kind of on Doc to sort of sniff out and become that vibes guy, like he said. Um, he was very good at that in Boston. I mean, like yeah. they had four uh, and and the Celtics fan I had on recently on my podcast said like we had four historical assholes in Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen and Rajon Rondo. And Doc got them all on the same page and got them to win a title together, which the, the, you got to give him credit for something. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and, you know, it's still, it's still kind of his, like his fault in a sense that those Clippers teams failed, obviously, because they failed very badly some of them but at some point it's like yeah the coach has to do his part but the coach is going to have a separate locker room and a separate office and the players do players have to at some point come together and make some sacrifices themselves to make the team better and i feel like yeah doc has his faults and yeah he's had some some really bad playoff showings but there's context that there that is is missing in some regard um <coughs> last thing last, last thing before i let you go trill the defense is as we discussed, um, I, I'm a little, I, like you said, there is worry about the defense. And I think there's, there, there's very reasonable, you know, uh, things there that make it a worrisome uh, defense. Opponents are shooting 63.7% at the rim. That's the 14th ranked in the NBA. So they're right in the middle there. 35.8% on threes. That's 21st. So they're giving up a lot of threes. They'll get better once, once Thibault and Embiid are back there. Um, and because MB just naturally deters everything at the rim, Thibel can do what he did to Zach Levine and Cam Reddish, where he just basically like engulfed them and murdered them. Devin Booker. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, but they've had a lot of luck, I think, in defending the perimeter. Like opponents, the, the three-point shooting profile from opponents against them, it indicates that a lot of the threes are coming with a lot of space. Like most, most of the threes they're giving up, teams are having four more feet of space. Justin Holiday. Yes, 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 yes. Shooting and practice threes. It was awful. It was so bad, so bad. And the efficiency is down this year at the start, so that's why you're not really seeing those weaknesses burn them necessarily. But they've had a lot of good luck from, from in in, the, in terms of their three point defense. Yeah, I mean, okay. So so you're saying they had a lot of good luck in terms of the three point defense? Yeah, it's like a lot of it is just players have not burned them. But they've been get, but they've been they've been saying like, hey, we'll give you the threes. Like they've they've, they've had a lot of space. Um, the above the break threes, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the 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 less efficient threes, which is, I mean, the thing is, is like that this happened a lot with the Knicks last year, where like the Knicks actually were the kind of the uh, the 
they had like a top defense, but like teams just missed all of their open threes against them. And it was a trend that continued for the entire season. And eventually that does regress back the other direction. And, and, and the defense is good. Like right now where I think we have the 21st or the 22nd defense in the NBA, but a lot of that is the context that you mentioned before. Like I'm not uh, going to panic about the defense because Ultimately, when Joel Embiid is on the floor, he's probably a top, he's a top three rim protector. He's when he's engaged, he's like arguably the best paint protector in the NBA, except for maybe Rudy Gobert. And uh, he is going to take the defense to another level when he returns. Thibel being out, obviously, I don't think we'll ever see Ben Simmons play for the Sixers again, but we will see someone in his place. I'm not super worried about the defense. Like the perimeter defense was bad when Ben and uh, when bad was uh, when Ben was out last year. I expected it to be bad this year, but I think that ultimately, like what it comes down to with the Sixers is getting another guy in return for Ben Simmons that can be an effective two-way player that can guard the perimeter. Because right now, like yeah, obviously we want a, a, we would prefer to have an offensive creator back, but. Thibel, once again, another guy that I think could be struggled to be playable in the playoffs due to his offense. And like the, the, the amount of threes that they're giving up now is probably by design, as you said, those kind of tougher above the break threes. But like, those are the things that teams make you pay for in the playoffs. Like I think specifically of the Milwaukee Bucks a few years ago when they played the Miami Heat in the playoffs. Okay, you're going to give us a bunch of you're going to give us a bunch of above the break threes. Okay, well we're just going to run curl actions for Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and these elite shooters. And like right now we're we're, we're letting it go to the Justin Holidays to the guys that are like good shooters but not dynamic enough shooters that they're going to kill you. Like we're not like if if a team were to just let Seth Curry shoot wide open threes. So I'm a little bit concerned about it, but I'm also like once we get pieces back, I I think that this team is going to be. I mean, if the shooting continues the way it is and we can get the defense back to even like average or like above average, I think this team has potential to be like a real buzzsaw. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I'm just excited for the the Ben Simmons package to be like your finest Jaden McDaniels. <laughs> I know. It's like I, I, I said it before. It's like anytime there's a leak, it's like, you know, OK, so uh, when it's uh, Daryl Morey doing the leaks, it's like Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown, like, OK, all star, all NBA level players. And then when it's another team leaking, they're like. Can I interest you in Chris Duarte? <laughs> Can I interest you in like Chris Dunn in an unprotected second round pick? Like Kevin Love? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's the, some of these trade packages, especially from the uh especially from the um the, the Timberwolves fans are awful. By the way, okay, I just want to say about the Timberwolves before you move on there, because I will forget. I had Timberwolves fans in my mentions, and I'm not even kidding. I had one who, before the season, when I was like, we don't even know if Jaden McDaniels is good. Like, he was, he showed flashes his rookie year. He's still very young. Like, he, he's, I don't even think he's, like, doing anything at all this year. But I was like, why would we care about Jaden McDaniels being available? And he's like, well, I don't think Timberwolves would give up Jaden McDaniels in a trade for Ben Simmons. And then I was like, Best of luck then. I don't know what to tell you. are not giving up like your seventh best player for a three-time all-star. And you're you're the Minnesota Timberwolves. With the Timberwolves, I'm like, listen, you'll 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 get you'll get what you're given. Okay. You'll you'll get that. You'll continue to 
you know, be the 15th seed. I love how they got fined today because I was like, well, I'm glad that that has all paid off for them on the court. They've looked a lot better as they've gotten blown out by the Clippers twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I literally had to block people in my mentions who were saying we should trade for D'Angelo Russell. And I'm like, this is why you don't trade for D'Angelo well, Russell. Yeah. He's not, he's maybe the worst high usage player in the NBA. And I'm not even I'm not even being ironic right now. I think Tyrese Maxey is currently a better player than D'Angelo Russell and, oh, yeah. and more formidable for a contending team. Absolutely. Trill, where can they uh, where can they find you? Plug your stuff. So you can first off listen to my podcast, you know ball. Um funny. you could it, it, I I do two episodes a week now. We throw out some bonus content every once in a while. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Trill Bro Dude. Um, and then on top of that, uh, this Thursday, if you're listening to it this week, Thursday, uh, I will be at the Henry James Saloon in Roxborough doing a live podcast. So come out, drink some beers, have some food, have some fun, hop on the mic and spit some of your Sixers takes if, if you would like. You need to get like a team shop or like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a sweatshirt thing because I would 100% buy a Uniball sweatshirt. 100%. Okay, I, I have some ideas for different designs we want to do that are like parodies of the ball don't stop guys uh stuff. <laughs> so yeah if anyone doesn't know that's like i'm real hooper pilled but i make fun of the guy who's like the biggest real hooper in the world a guy named ball don't stop and we will be we'll be rolling out something eventually because we're, we're trying to try to take the brand to the next level there we go all right Trill, thanks for having on thanks bud See ya. peace